0: Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class, led by Pastor Jim Otte. This week, we continue our series on the Gospel of John. Enjoy.
1: Okay, there we go. All right, well, let's get into our the rest of our study for, uh, for today. Uh, we're still in John 4. And we recall that where we're at is, or where, 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 where things pick up, is that Jesus is having this encounter with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. It's a private moment between the two of them. So even though the disciples were initially with Jesus when when he came to uh, this town in Samaria, they went off to find something to eat because they hadn't eaten for a while. Okay, we're gonna go off, we'll find food. And Jesus is kind of whipped from the, from the ministry and from the journey. So he sits down uh, near the well and this, this Samaritan woman comes up and she's gonna draw water from the well for her household. And so while she's there, then Jesus takes the opportunity to interact with her. And he says, Will you give me something to drink? And then they, they start into this conversation about the fact that she expresses surprise that Jesus, a Jewish man, would be even wanting to talk to a woman, and in this case, uh, a Samaritan woman. And so we talked uh, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks about the, the antagonistic sort of relationship that existed. Historically, between Samaritan Jews that continued on into, into uh, Jesus' day. And so they, they, they ha- they're starting to have this conversation and, and uh, they're talking about water. And it makes perfect sense because he was there to get something to drink and she's there at the well to draw, uh, draw water. And Jesus uh, shifts the conversation from talking about the physical idea of water into the spiritual idea of water. Remember what he said? What did he describe this water as from a spiritual point of view? (laughs) Living water, absolutely. And so he's moving into talking about The idea that from him comes uh, living water and living water, as we as we've learned, is synonymous with uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit and faith and the spring of of living water uh, welling up inside of you is what Jesus is offering to her. But she's still kind of stuck on the idea of water. See, in fact, she said, he says, you know, if you drink of the living water, you'll never be thirsty ever again. And her thought is, oh, that'd be so awesome. I wouldn't ever have to come to this well, you know, 20 miles away and carry a big jug of water back. So give me some of this water so that I'll never be thirsty again. And that's when Jesus again shifts the conversation and he shifts it into a uh, imperative that he gives to her. And he says, go call your husband. And then she says, I have no husband. And that's where we pick it up in our reading here in verse 17. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What might have have compelled her to say that?
0: She knew how he knew how many times she'd been married.
1: And he was a stranger in town, right? So she would have figured out right away that how would this guy have known all of my history and how would he have known that about me? So what is Jesus doing? What's he doing? Is he calling her out? Yes. Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> but it's not he's not being judgmental. Oh, is he judging? No, I'm not judging Really? Because he is talking
0: to 30 and, and he's not fearful um,
1: to do that as some um,
0: a judging.
1: Might there be a difference between judging and being judgmental?
0: Is it judgmental if you're just stating facts? Say that again. Is it judgmental if you're just stating
1: facts? That's what I'm or asking. I asked first. I asked first. You can't ask. I asked. Well, I'm asking. I mean, is there a difference between judging and being judgmental? And I'm assuming that we're using that word judgmental in the way that we use it today, kind of like, oh, you're being judgmental. Okay, I I, I assume we're off of that. Okay, so uh, we'll just move across the spectrum here. All right, Christina.
0: I mean, you can't read always read dialect and text,
1: like, it's yeah. all about how it's said. It is. Tone, Tone okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, so, to me, knowing what I know
0: about Jesus, I would say no. I would say
1: he's just sort of stating the Okay. Except that we've already covered that part where he goes in the temple and turns over all the tables, and we're thinking, well, there's that side of him, too. Okay? So, but I hear what you're saying, okay? So, we'll hang on to that.
0: I was thinking that well, yes, in a way he was basically stating back, but yeah. saying,
1: I'm talking to you because other people wouldn't talk to you because they would have already condemned
0: you. Yeah. So in a way, he, he's judged her, but not judged. He's basically saying, Other people will judge you one way, and I speak to you when anybody everybody else will probably ignore you and change.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is pointing out the truth, isn't he? Which Kind of in our day and age today, whenever you point out the truth, there's something wrong with you. Have you noticed that? And partly it's because I think the idea of truth is under assault today. There's a lot of people who believe there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And in fact, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, then your truth is just as good as my truth. And the problem is whose truth is going to be the winner? And if there's no truth, well, then everybody gets to decide in their own mind what is the right thing to do as opposed to what is the wrong thing to do. And if I'm doing it, I assure you it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Instead of telling her directly, you're a sinner and I'm the Messiah, he's leading her step by step to understand that for herself. Into something else. Yeah. So that gives us a little clue as to how Jesus does what he does is that he takes you where you are initially and then there's a transformative effect that he has as he takes you to a different place. We get kind of hung up today on the idea that that accepting one another is the same as embracing all the sinfulness in each other's lives and then making it okay. And that isn't the way Jesus does it. Jesus says, I love you and I accept you enough to point out the truth to you, but then I'm going to take you to a different place. And I'm going to do it without putting you down or disparaging you. But what I am going to do is not water down the truth either. And that's that's how Jesus does what he does. Yeah. Okay, I'm keeping moving this direction. Yeah, Brian?
0: I think he gains the trust. I think when Jesus talks to
1: people with just the whole circle, Uh uh-huh. He gains the trust of believing. He gains the trust, okay? All right. And we sort of get that sense that he's got some credibility with her by the way he is with her. I mean, how how did he already establish trust with her? What has he already done? Talk to her. He gave her the time of day. He didn't look right through her or look around her or think, oh, my gosh, here I am talking to a woman. Who, the, who knows it? He, he, he didn't worry about that. He, it was him and her having that. And, and that's what's evident in this interaction is that the disciples aren't around and the townspeople aren't around. This is her and him uh, engaging in that. Okay. He's not putting it all over social media in terms of having this conversation with her. Okay? All right. Keep. Carl? Same thing that Brian was just saying. Uh, when he, he told her what he did, it, she, it got her attention. Yeah. If you take it from her perspective, like, whoa, this guy's worth listening to. Yeah. I mean, again, it's kind of that idea that you got the sense that that because of who he is, Um, and how he dealt with her, that it was tolerable to hear the truth. See, how much truth do you want to (laughs) hear? About yourself. You want to hear the truth about yourself? How many of you want to hear the truth about yourself? Raise your hand if you want to hear the truth about yourself. You're not about to do that in here, are you? I don't want to hear the truth about myself because how do you react when you hear the truth about yourself? Don't you want to defend yourself? Yeah. Don't you want to say, you know, there are one or two things that are redeemable, you know, how many of you, when someone has told you the truth about yourself and the way that that person told you the truth about yourself is that they used words like always and never. Have you ever had that before? Yeah. So what, what do you do with that? Do you, do you like react to that when somebody says always and never and that, you know, it feels like 100% of the time you're this way and you do these things? Do you know what to try? Here's what I would uh, have you try is ask that person if she <laughs> or he would be willing to say instead of always or never, to say like 98% of the time. 98% of the time. Because what does that mean if that if someone does that? 98% of the time. If they say instead of all, if they say you're always doing that. If instead they say those you know 98% of the time you do that. Okay, how would you react to that? You might say. Well, if it's happening 98% of the time, I think that I should pay attention to that. But there is that 2% of the time when it's not happening, and I can feel pretty, pretty good about that. So this is just a little extra side gift today. It has nothing to do with our lesson today, but it's, uh, it's just this idea that it's hard to hear truth. It's hard to hear truth, especially when it's true. True. <laughs> no, isn't that right? That's what's hard. And when we hear it and we know it's true, then there is an automatic reaction of no, it's not true. And yet, what, what is happening here with Jesus? This, does The woman doesn't react, does she? She senses that there's, a, there's something else going on here besides just the idea that he's calling her out. Yeah
0: off people should also take the time to
1: tell, when you're telling somebody the truth about them, mm-hmm. tell, take the time to tell them something good about them. Oh, something good about them. Say something good about the them. Bad stuff. You know, yeah. you're always really, you're really generous with mm-hmm. your time or you're really loving with others, so throw in a little good into the mix <laughs> with the bad. Throw in some good <laughs> with the bad. Okay, now, how many of you would be suspicious. <laughs> If somebody did that, if they said, you know, there's really, I've got something on my mind that I want to talk about, and I can, it's really kind of bugging me. And, you know, it's kind of getting in the way of our, you know, relationship. And so I just wanted to tell you about that. But before I do, I want to tell you one or two good things about you. I mean, not that you would do it that way, but how many of you, truthfully, how many of you would be uncomfortable if someone did that because you have had experience someplace else or somebody said, Oh, you know, we so appreciate your efforts here. It's been so wonderful to have you work here. Here's your pink slip. I mean that's that's kind of what happens, doesn't it? It kind of does. Okay, don't do the bad to go in the same conversation. Okay, yeah. So, but if you're gonna do it, okay, I I love it when you have you have that suggestion. When you do it, you have to be genuine. See, and I think one of the things here is Jesus was very genuine. She could tell that he was not just doing this to make her look bad. See, he, there was a compassion that he had for her and the knowledge that he had that if he didn't point out the truth to her, she would continue to live in a lie. And he risked the idea. He was risking the idea. Number one, that you might hurt her feelings. That would be number one. But number two, that she might get up and say, huh, who are you to talk to me and, and leave? And the, and the opportunity is not there. Yes.
0: Yeah, but I think it's the difference between if she, she's full of shame. She's a shameful person. And I she's hearing the truth. If yes. you're shameless or you think you're all that in a bag of chips, mm-hmm.
1: I think you would react differently sometimes. Did you hear what she said? No. Okay. It's just the difference between being shameless and yes. shameful. Oh. And if you live your life
0: and you tend to be more shameful, right? which obviously she doesn't think she's great. Right. So I think she can... And Jesus knew the approach to take with her mm-hmm. because she's full of shame. Yeah. And she's going to hear what he had to
1: say. So and she's not going to... If he said that to a Pharisee,
0: mm-hmm. I think he'd get a different adverse reaction yeah. from
1: that. So what Vicky is saying is, is that where she is, is might govern how he approaches her. And he can intuit that in that moment that she is a person who has some shame about her life. And yet at the same time, it was pretty public knowledge. And there might've been by this point in her life where she said, I don't really care about what other people think about me. This is what I have to do to survive, or this is what I have to do in terms of living my life. So it's hard to, it's hard to tell, but what Jesus does is he goes right after her life without tearing down herself. Do, do you see that distinction? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, I
0: was just gonna comment. She's out there in the middle of the day. Normally they get up their water in the evening and the morning. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling she returned by the people in the village. Yes.
1: yes. And so it sort of raises the question later, and I put this in here if we ever get to it, of course. Um, is that, you know, after Jesus has this encounter with her, she goes and tells all her friends that I think this could be the Christ because he's telling me everything about me that I ever did. And what happens is when she goes and witnesses to her neighbors and her friends, then they, they say, you know what, this might be it. We want to know more. And so the question that I wonder about, and the the scripture doesn't really indicate it, at least in a specific way, is that after she came to faith in Jesus, did she change her life? And after the townspeople came to faith in Jesus, did they treat her differently as a result of that? And sometimes the Bible indicates to us, yes, and we all go, yay, you know? But other times the Bible kind of leaves that question open as to what impact or what effect societally did that conversion have on that person and or on the community that she was a part of. I think we'd like to think that, oh, she changed her lifestyle. And, oh, they were nicer to her and they didn't shun her. But, you know, sometimes blood is thicker than uh, than theology, and uh, sometimes it takes a little longer for people to change that aspect of life, uh, in, in terms of uh, the the change that has taken place inside. Okay, any other questions or thoughts? Yeah. I think
0: in terms of our attitude, discernment is a better word than judgment. We have no right
1: to judge, but I think if we understand biblical
0: truth, we certainly should practice discernment at least to recognize right
1: from wrong. See, I would disagree as long as. I'm okay with the idea that discernment and judging, you can use the word discernment, but judging involves looking at someone's actions. And we have the right and responsibility to do that. The caution in the Bible is how you do it. And if you're going to go around, do it in a harsh way, the measure that you give is the measure you're going to receive. But the idea that we sh- somehow should not, based on biblical truth, be able to say some- to somebody, biblically, this is right and this is wrong in terms of what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, we have to do that. But again, we have to be mindful of how we do it. Yeah, I
0: was just talking about the way when people say, judge, not now, they, they're saying, you don't even have a right to have an opinion. That's correct.
1: Yeah, that's so correct. at
0: least you have to do Yeah.
1: practice yeah, I mean, you know, later on in Matthew 7 is where he says that. Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. And most people stop there. That's about as much of the Bible as they've read, that verse, okay? But they don't, they don't keep on reading. No, they don't keep on reading where he says, you, you will know a false prophet by his, by his works, by his fruit. If I call you a false prophet, I assure you, I am judging what you're preaching, what you're teaching, And how you're living your life. Yeah, I have to do that. Now, am I saying that you are now going to hell? No, I'm not saying that. I can't make that judgment. That's up to God. But I can call right is right and wrong is wrong. You can do that on the basis of Scripture. And I think that that's a lot of the issue today is that people have taken the Bible out of the picture and when you take the foundation out of the picture, then you get to say, we all get to decide what's right. What's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for me may not be right for you. So that's pretty devastating when that occurs. Yeah? Carl. A new book just came out by my, my fellow named War. Uh, and it's Jezebel in America. I think that's the title. Uh, and basically, if we remember from Scripture, how, how vile Jezebel was, mm-hmm. uh, and how how she progressed the vileness into her culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his point is that that same kind of evil is what our culture is is experiencing as we as we've been moving it, as we've grown older. We've seen us go from a more of a Christ-centered world, to even in you know for America, to more of a Liberal, uh, almost uh, yeah, I. I mean, you can make the case that evil's been around. You step up and stand up for it. So. Yeah, it. But again, based on what? Based on scripture. See, again, it. It goes back to your core. I. Where did I? Did I read that this week that, Oprah, Winfrey came out with a statement that America has lost its uh, moral core, and I was thinking that that. Gosh, for for Oprah to have said that is pretty astonishing, and that got a lot of press. That's kind of what the church has been saying, but maybe we haven't been saying it loudly enough. It's just that what what is it that determines your moral core? Is that you got to go back to that the ultimate sense of truth. And if you say the Bible doesn't isn't, isn't the Word of God, if you say it's not true, it's it's a, a, a collection of wise writings, that has no authority then, okay?
0: Oprah said that, and then I heard a commentary that said after that, we need a new religion of storytelling, instead of saying, let's go back to the-
1: Yes, and we've got the perfect set of stories to go with it, <laughs> don't we, huh? Yeah, yeah. So again, I, not to, to, to put that down or anything, but just to simply say that that observation now is being made of, of, by many people that we're noticing that there's something different. There's something not quite right. And, and it kind of reminds me of in Matthew 24, I was looking at this the other day where Jesus is talking about what things will be like in the last days. And there's a, there's a, uh, there's a verse in there where he says, and the love of many will grow cold. And you think in terms of what does that mean when love grows cold? is it's like there is an indifference toward life. And when there's an indifference toward life, the view that I have toward another person is that it's I'm very indifferent toward the value of your life. So if I don't like the color of your skin or I don't like the fact that you're related to a bunch of people that might be coming over here in an indo- undocumented way I, and I don't value your life, what am I gonna do? Well, I might just get a gun and take it and shoot a bunch of them. Or I might look at you with judgmental a judgmental look on my face. Or I might not talk to you when I see you. I might shun you. And that is 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 uh, characteristic of what happens not just in individuals' lives but also in a collective sense of when love grows cold. So uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's an interesting time. And as one of my seminary professors now is saying, it's a great time to be the church. Because when everything is falling apart and, and people are searching for what's the real thing here and, and what can I depend on and what can I trust in and what, what will hold me through even the difficult times of life. The church and the message, not church per se, but the message of the church and the gospel and the word. It's a great time to be the church. It's just scaring the bejeebies out of us is what it's doing. Somebody else had their. Oh, yeah, Kathy. Yeah, thank you for wrapping that that point in. Because I was thinking of that person, the Bible where it says, don't tell me about the splinter in my eye till you take care of the log in
0: yours. Yes.
1: And I think we as Christians need to remember that when we approach people that are not Christians, because that log in our eye, that's what they see. Right. And we, we, we shouldn't be judging people when we haven't fixed our own. So the idea, but notice again, what does he say in those verses? He says, do what with the log in your own eye? What do you do with it? Remove it. So that what? So you can see better to do what? To take the speck out of the other guy's eye. See, I still have a responsibility to you, don't I? Now, is that irritating to you? Really? Is that annoying to you that you would have that responsibility to see the speck in the other guy's eye? That annoys me. Partly because I know I have specks in my own eye and I don't want you coming and messing with them, right? I mean, some of it is that, right? Isn't that right? Right. Yeah, But that's the responsibility we have to each other. But again, does it make a difference how you do it? Yes, it does. Please do not come after me with tweezers, right? <laughs> okay. So again, it's, it, it is, it's a hard thing it's so tempting to want to just be concerned about my own spirituality and my own faith and my own life and say, you know what? I have enough to do to take care of me. And you know, frankly, we do. But if it's only about me and Jesus, that vertical relationship, what does that say about the horizontal relationships that you and I have with each other? There is some responsibility that we have and how you do it does make a difference. Okay. Make sense? All right, let's keep going. So, Jesus speaks the truth. Look at that. We're in point A of the lesson for today. (laughs) Okay, so it reminds us of a verse in Ephesians where Paul said to us, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, when you read that verse or hear that verse, speaking the truth in love, How do you interpret that? Because there's kind of two different ways to go on it, and I've heard both. Yeah, Martha. Speaking the truth in love is speaking in a way that you know the other person cares about you. It's kind of like in school, the the teacher, you show that that you care about your children in your classroom you can mold them and shape them, and they're ready to receive what you have to deliver. Yeah. But if you're if you're told, uh, and all the things <laughs> that we've been talking about earlier about the differences between the um, um, judgmental, judgmental, judgmental mm-hmm. and all that, but if they know you care, mm-hmm. or if you have the, the position that,
0: that makes that essential, but just knowing that you want to help them mm-hmm. to do better, it makes all the
1: difference. So you're taking the view of the second interpretation which is to speak the truth, but to do it in a loving and respectful way. Especially if it involves calling out sinfulness, misbehavior, you know, if you want to call it that at a school setting. you want to achieve your goal. Yeah. You been working with it. Right? Yeah, Sure. And and it does risk hurting somebody's feelings. But if you you do it in a respectful, loving way, then maybe it's a little easier to digest. And then if you say six nice things about the person before you do it, (laughs) then it's likely that you won't ever actually get to the thing that bothered you about it because you spent so much time talking about how wonderful they were. And then when you did that, you talked yourself right out of whatever it was that was bugging you. So that could be possible. All right. What about interpretation number one? Where the idea is, is that the way I show that I love you is by speaking the truth to you, irrespective of how I do it. And in fact, if I do it poorly with you or do it in a sort of blunt way, you ought to just get over that because you know what? I'm speaking the truth to you and that's how I show you that I love you. What about that? Stephen? Uh, well there's a thing called humility. Pardon? Humility meekness humility? in how you approach these things. And how you do it. So you would lean toward being feeling better about interpretation number two. You can still say that it's here's the truth. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're better than that person. And yeah. You let that person know that yeah. you're talking from humility. You would always have to watch out for that, wouldn't you? That You would start believing your own press that somehow you are better and they aren't. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's the the thing that I think that the media or other people think about Christians, that just because we have a position, Mm -hmm. that we think we're better than the other person. that's correct. And to disarm that, I'm just suggesting the thought of meekness and humility. Meekness and humility. So Stephen votes for that we do it uh, according to interpretation number two rather than interpretation number one. Okay. How many of you would kind of feel better if we would do it according to number two instead of number one? See, we have a lot of feeling people in here. And, and I agree. I, I feel the same way. All right. But, you know, when you look at Jesus's ministry, there were times when he wasn't so concerned about doing it in a way that would be socially acceptable to people. Truth was truth. And the last thing in the world Jesus ever wanted to do would be to water down the truth in deference to how it might make somebody feel. And again, most of that was reserved for the religious establishment and the abuses that they were promoting onto the uh, onto the faithful. And so if you've ever read I think it's what Matthew 23 is it Matthew 23 Bob where he goes after the Pharisees and the scribes woe to you you hypocrites you know he doesn't mince any words when he starts calling people hypocrites. Now that's in the latter part of Matthew So we know that he was, he sort of waited until the end to do that, right? But Jesus never had any trouble with the idea that truth is truth. But depending on, as Victoria mentioned, depending on where the person was individually in terms of their own struggle, he was very, I think, compassionate with that and would sort of tailor his approach to that. I know some people that I wish they would do more tailoring. They're kind of blunt, right? Kind of say it like it is. Truth is truth. Get over it. You'll, you'll still live through this. You know, I've had some coaches like that in my life. And that, didn't, that, that wasn't a very good approach for me. That didn't work so well for me. But I know some other people that they thrived in that sort of thing. So a little bit of knowing that person. Yeah, Bob. Well, I was just going to say, sometimes you've got to hit somebody over the head with a two-by-four to get their attention. <laughs> <laughs> Bob. <laughs> now, Bob. Did you hear what he said? Sometimes he. Okay, yeah, everybody heard two by four, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> they, they get a lot of people that to get their attention in the military. In the military, is a good example. Yeah. And yeah. This is going to hurt the truth. That's right. That's right. That's that's right. Yeah. Trying to save a life. Yeah, that's right. So sometimes the. The circumstances would dictate, you know, I mean, if if there's an emergency happening, I, we want somebody to be directive. Like, you know, if the, if there's smoke in the room, we need somebody to say, hey, everybody out the door. And what we don't need to do is have somebody say, here's three things nice about you before you go out the door. <laughs> no, I know. I know. That's why I wouldn't be very good at that. I would have to need somebody else like you guys to be the ones because... I would be worried about people's feelings, you know, like, oh, we might hurt somebody's feelings uh, telling them how to get out the door. So, so there's a little bit of that. Yeah. Fred, do you want to say something? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you were just yawning. Okay, good. All right. All right. So again, Jesus doesn't shy. The point is, see, he doesn't shy away from speaking uh, reality to her. And that's, I think a good word to use is reality. See, she was living in sin. But more than that, not just to say that judgmentally, her life was a wreck. Her life was a wreck. And how else was she going to know that? I mean, maybe she knew it, but was making a justification for it. And that life was leading her away from God. And so Jesus in love said, I got to tell you about that. And here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah, Doris. Well, um, I have heard Jack Graham, President of Baptist Church, uh-huh. speak many times on controversial subjects of abortion,
0: homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And he does it in a loving way, but he said, if the church doesn't talk about it, who's going to do it? Right.
1: And I, that kind of goes along with your friend that it said it's
0: a great time to be the church. Right. Because though we can't ignore those things happening, Correct. but I've never heard him say, you're going to go to hell if right. you've an abortion, or you're going to go to hell if you're homosexual. Right. But he does speak very mm-hmm. clearly about what the Bible says mm-hmm. about those subjects.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we talk about in here. Now, we don't here at Messiah would say that this way is that you're not often going to hear a sermon on it in that specific way. And that's whether Pastor Coleman's preaching or I'm preaching or Pastor Wilmer's preaching. But in here, you're going to hear about it. Now, what's the difference between hearing about something in a sermon and hearing something in a Bible class? And then that Bible class has a podcast that goes out to millions of people in the world. Or just 80.
0: <laughs>
1: What's the difference? What's the difference, Kathy? In this class, we get to have feedback and ask you for clarification. Yeah. And, and sermon pastor doesn't get that. That's so right. So if somebody's on this podcast, yeah. they'll, they'll hear the explanation. That's right. It's a different audience. It's a different thing. We get to talk about those things in here because we get to kind of wrestle with them, Right. And we get to do it for 45 minutes, mostly, except on communion Sundays, all right? In a sermon, you get to hear it for 12 to 18 minutes, unless I'm the one preaching, and then that's 8 to 10. (laughs) I mean, you know, so that's that's part of the difference. That's part of the difference, okay? So it's not to say that we think that this, this is something that shouldn't be talked about, but we pick kind of the environment in which we do it. That's how we do it. Yeah, okay.
0: I once confronted my pastor at, when we were living in Minnesota and asked why he never talked about like right to life or whatever, you know, and, and, and that was what he said. If I, this is what I preach from the pulpit. Yeah. If someone is in this situation, I'm not the one they're coming to because I they already know my stance mm-hmm. on it yeah. and I'm not gonna be of any help. So mm-hmm. if I lead people to come to me yeah. afterwards in a mm-hmm. private meeting.
1: That's good. Okay, other thoughts about that? Okay, we'll get down to section two. Okay, all right. So what is Jesus' purpose? Let's look at 1 John 1, 5 to 7. That gives us a little sense of why does Jesus do this and what might be the linkage of why Jesus does it and then there's an encouragement for us as well. In 1 John he says, this is the message we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. See, what is it? Her life was a life of darkness. The problem is she was blind to that, which is kind of ironic. You would think that when you're in the darkness, you can't see, but your eyes can kind of adjust to the darkness, can't they? And that's what had happened to her. Her eyes had kind of adjusted to the darkness and and kind of made a justifiable reason for it because she might likely have said, what else am I supposed to do? Uh, Maybe I'm a widow or maybe I'm a single woman. How else am I going to survive? Nobody will give me the time of day. I don't have any relatives. There's nobody I can go live with to have support. There's no social security system. There's no social safety net. There's none of that. How am I supposed to live? And that could easily have been her justification for living her life the way she was living it. So she was in the darkness. She just didn't know it. She was blind to it. And what does Jesus do? He shines light on her life. You are right. You have no husband and you've had no husband. And the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. So what does Jesus do? He shines the light on the darkness so that she would be drawn to the light. And that's what gives us the really great message of hope here is is that he's not doing this just to make her look bad. He's doing this because the pathway to the light was through the darkness. And he is the light. And he was not about to shun her. He was not about to turn her away. He was not about to say, I'm going to make a bad example. I'm going to make an example of you in this community. He showed her the greatest love you could ever show. Great place to stop. (laughs) So we'll pick it up next week with this, then the rest of their conversation, which is has to do with uh, how do you worship God then? Is worship limited to a place, you know, a building, a, a, a group of people like you, or is there more to worship than simply just the idea of how we do it and where we do it? Okay, so I want you to ponder uh, the question. The big question for next week is, uh, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? And you all better be in church next Sunday so we can (laughs) so we can answer that question. All right. Let's uh, go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks truth to us. Lord, it is it is sometimes excruciating to hear the truth about ourselves. We all have these flaws and when they get pointed out, Lord, that is just a, that is a tough moment. We know that your word speaks that to us, but it does it out of love for us that walking in the darkness is not good for us. It opens our eyes, not only to the darkness, but also to the light that you offer. So we pray to Lord in the coming days of this week, that you would bless us with your truth. Also bless those who are Are listening to our podcast. We also pray, Lord, that you'll be with our our uh, team Triton as they're in El Paso, giving to people there the comfort that comes from you and and somehow is conveyed through the physical presence of of our of our dog as well as our folks. And we pray that you just be with them and protect them uh, during their time, bringing them safely back to us. Watch over us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus name.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to Podcast at gmail.com and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, pocket casts, stitcher TuneIn, in or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.